Okay, welcome everybody. Um, we are on chapter 18 and today I wanted to dedicate the class in honor of all the beautiful special souls that lost their lives in Mayroon last week and our learning should be an aliyah and a comfort for their families. Okay, so we are on chapter 18. We remember last week we kind of wrapped up one section. We are moving on to a new topic, but well, not really a new topic because the topic is always about you know our journey with Hashem and the Bainani's journey. But we're now kind of focusing on a different method. This will this section is chapters 18 through 25. So we'll be on this section for a little while. And um it's, I don't know, I find it, you know, there's always so, so, so much to learn. So we'll, we'll dive right in. Um, we are going to be doing, learning quite a bit of, it's going to be deep, okay? And what my goal is throughout um, these next couple chapters is to keep on bringing us back to the practical piece of the Tanya, because that's what I think is so powerful. Um, we might deviate and we might get into some deep topics or some technical stuff. I, I think that when we understand and we learn more of these deep things, it actually will enhance our practical application. But if, if, if you at any point are getting lost or we need to be, we need to recenter ourselves, we will do that constantly because I don't want to lose the intention of learning Tanya is so that it enhances our day-to-day -day life, that we can take the practicality of it and really, really apply it to, to our daily grind, okay? But we go back and forth with Tanya, right? Like we get practical, we get deep, we get practical, we get deep. And if, and if you pay attention, you will see that they, they enhance each other, they feed off of each other, okay? So, and as a reminder, at, if at any point something is not sitting right, it's not, you're not understanding it, don't just push forward or ignore that. Please ask the question. Chances are I might not know it because I'm learning with you guys, but um, it's important that I want everyone to feel like they're in a place that it feels feels good to them. I don't want any of this to be stressful or difficult in any way. Okay. We got that. Okay. So last week in chapter 17, we focused on and talked about the fact that observing the mitzvos and studying the Torah are within reach and accessible to everyone that has a brain in their head. Remember we said, if you have a brain in your head, you are able to meditate on God, right? And um, create the attachment, the emotion, the love that we need to serve God, right? Because, so why? Why, if we have a brain in our head, is this accessible? Why? Because you can think about whatever you want right? We know, we've reviewed this almost every single week, that we can think about what we want. 
Okay. So if you choose to think about Hashem, if you choose to think about God's greatness, then that will generate the love that you need to serve him. Okay. So if you have a brain in your head and you use it for godly positive things, which you have the power to, right? You have the choice to do that. This is accessible. Okay. Now, the thing is, is that we've explained how the goal is within our reach, right? It's within our reach. That's what we said last time. Last so so. It is doable. It's doable, right? But there's a part of the of this verse. Remember, the Tanya's. We're always going back to this verse of Kikarov Elacha Hadavar Meod Beficha Uvovavcha La Asoso. Right? This is close to you in your heart, in your mind, to do Hashem's will. Right? It says Kikarov Elacha Hadavar Meod. This is very close to you, very, right? Well, that we don't, we don't really understand. We understand that this is within our reach. We understand that this is doable, but how do we explain the very? How do we explain that this is very close to us? This is, this is extremely accessible, right? That's what we're going to be now discussing in the next seven chapters, okay? We need to understand how this is very close to us. Not just doable if we try really hard, right? It has to be very close, okay? So up until this point, the Tanya's emphasis has been on coming close to Hashem through mind work, right? So far, everything that we've been discussing is has been through our mind. We've been working on our mind, right? Um, impulse control, um, not, you know, not allowing our mind to run away with thoughts, right? Without stopping them, controlling the knock on the door. All, everything so far has been through mind work, right? Um, why? Because inherently we know that the mind rules our heart, right? Our mind rules our heart. So obviously the way to our heart is through our mind and we have to work on our mind, right? That's what we've been working on, right? Then the next few chapters in Tanya, well, we need an easier path. We need an, e we need an option for an easier path because we, it's very close. So we, we know that Hashem is saying this is very close. So going through our mind, it's accessible, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. Remember the last the last sentence that we said of last class, what I wanted you to go away, which I, what I wanted you to take away with and go home with was, we can affect our emotions indirectly over time, right? That's what we learned last week. That's not very, right? That's not very close. Something that happens indirectly over time, right? Indirectly means we're going through our mind to our emotions, right? It's indirectly over time. That's not very close. So the Tanya has to give us another path that's easier and that fulfills the very criteria, right? We need to have a, something that fulfills that criteria, okay? So um, previously, um, we what was required of us 
was to acquire an awareness of Hashem through your mind, right? We had to acquire, we had to create this. We have to create this feeling and this emotion, okay? That was in the previous um, path, the previous path that we've been working on. This new path that we're now going to be working on for the next couple of chapters is based on a quality that we already have, okay? It's already present within your soul. It just has to be uncovered, okay? So previously we had to acquire, we had to work really hard, we had to create these emotions. In this, in this path that we're discussing now, it, we're, we're relying on something that already exists within our soul, okay? Are we good so far? Okay, chapter, in chapter 16, we learned, two weeks ago, we learned that if your meditation fails to produce a real intense palpable emotion that you can feel physically in your body like a tzaddik, right? If we can't produce that with meditation, it's okay. Why? Because we can produce an appreciation or a pseudo emotion that is enough to get us to serve God, right? In a will, in a in a in a happy or willing manner, right? We can we're creating a, an appreciation. We 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 understand why this is a great thing, and we want to do it, right? We're not creating these big, huge, intense emotions, but we're creating these pseudo-like emotions that get us where we need to go, right? And we said, okay, that's okay. We can do that. Now, what happens, and that's why we are still under the category of it's accessible, right? Because we're not creating these big, big emotions, but we're creating enough to make this journey accessible. But what happens if we fail at our meditation and it doesn't produce anything, okay? And no matter how much effort we put in, and no matter how much we focus, and no matter how much we try, we aren't able to muster up even that pseudo emotion or that appreciation. What happens then? Okay, now, I don't know, has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me probably more times than not, right? Like you, meditation is something that happens very gradually over time. And sometimes you're just like this. I mean, I can sit here and think all day. It's, it's not producing what I needed to produce. So the Tanya says, don't worry. There's another approach. And this is one of the things that I love about Tanya so much, because on the one hand, Tanya holds us to such a high standard and it expects so much from us and it wants us to work really hard and there's no shortcuts and there's no, I mean, there's no getting away with it. But then the Tanya also always gives us a way. If this isn't working, try this. If this isn't working, try this. And it's not on a shame-based not like, oh my gosh, you're a terrible person because you can't create these emotions through meditation. The Tanya says, oh, it's not working. Don't worry. There's another way. Okay. And that's so powerful because so many times we hit these roadblocks and we keep on coming up against these obstacles. And it's, we could say, you know what, this is just not for me. I'm giving up. There's no such thing in the Tanya. There always will be a way to 
create a relationship with Hashem. You just have to find the right avenue. Okay, so here we are. We're not able to create our, um, um, our emotions through meditation. And now we need another way. Okay, so that Tanya is going to give us another way that not only is another way, but it's very within our reach and it's accessible to every single person. Okay, everybody can do this. And um, in the title page of the Tanya, it refers to these um, paths as the long way and the short way. What would you think the long way will be? What we've been learning till now, right? The, the process of meditation and working through our mind, that's the long way. And we're going to go, excuse me, we're going to go back and forth between the long way and the short way. And we're going to, after we learn this, we're going to go back and delve more into the meditation aspect. Because even when we are doing this short way, at the same time, we can still be working on the long way. We can still be working on our meditation at the same time. It's not, doesn't cancel each other out right? While we're on this long journey through meditation that takes a lot of time, sometimes we need something immediate, something we need, we need something to work right away. Then we have this like short way, this quick fix that can get us where we need to be in an instant. Okay. So, um, what does this second approach, um, include like what what are we talking about here what are we what 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 are we using what are we what are our tools for this second approach okay so what we're going to be focusing on is something called dormant love okay dormant love is found in everyone okay it's already present in your soul you just have to awaken it okay now the Tanya describes the dormant love as an inheritance. Okay. It's an inheritance. It is not something you've earned. You don't get this because you did something to deserve it. You get it no matter what. When you are born within your soul is this dormant love without exception. Okay. Where does this dormant love come from? It comes from our forefathers, our patriarchs, okay? It's a direct gift and inheritance from our forefathers, okay? Abraham in particular is associated with love and kindness and so is mostly associated with this dormant love, but it comes from all our patriarchs, okay? So we have a couple questions, okay? How do we inherit, number one, how do we inherit this love? Number two, why is it dormant? And number three, how do we bring it from our subconscious to a conscious experience? Okay, these are the three questions that we have and we are going to answer them over the next couple chapters. So we are not going to walk away with all the answers to these questions at the end of this class. Okay, so keep that in mind, this is a journey. But before we even get to these questions, we need to clarify four issues pertaining to this dormant love. So we have kind of questions within our questions, okay? So what are the four issues in connection to this dormant love? Number one, what's the root of this love? Because if it doesn't flow from your mind 
to your heart, how does it come to you? We learned that all of our emotions start in our mind, right? So if this dormant love isn't coming through your mind, it's not on that pathway, how do we, how do we get it? How do we access it and how do we get it, okay? Number two, how does it differ from all other loves, right? There's a many different levels of love. We're not, this is a different love than the love that we're creating through meditation, right? This is a different love. It's a love that already exists within us. So how is it different? And number three, uh, how can an emotion be inherited? How do you inherit an emotion, right? That's kind of a weird thing to inherit. That's something that you produce on your own usually. Like what, it, what does that mean? And number three, when, our, when we serve Hashem, it's a two-pronged approach. We have to serve Hashem with love and we have to serve Hashem with awe, with reverence, fear, whatever word you like to, to put in there, okay? Um, how, so is there also an inherited awe or reverence? Because if we're bypassing our mind, right? And we're accessing this dormant love to serve Hashem. Well, what happens to the awe? We can't serve Hashem without awe also, but we're bypassing. Remember, we're bypassing our mind. We're not creating these emotions through our mind. That's through meditation. And we're not doing that right now. So is there some kind of reverence that we inherit as well, or else we wouldn't be fully serving Hashem with only love. We can't serve Hashem only with love. We get way more into that in the end of, in the late thirties, early forties chapter. But do you understand the questions you get? Do you see what we're, we're, what we're doing here, right? We need to understand more about this dormant love before we do anything else. Okay. So we're going to answer the third question first. What's the third question? How can an emotion be inherited? That's what we're going to answer first, currently, right now. Okay. So the Medrash, any questions? We're good so far? Following? Okay. Um, the Medrash teaches us that our patriarchs, our forefathers, are um, compared to chariots. Okay. Why? Because their dedication to Hashem is so absolute and they have such devotion to Hashem. It's like a chariot to its rider, right? Because a chariot can't go a different direction than the rider, right? The person that's on the horse directing the chariot, that's where the chariot's going to follow. There's no such thing as a chariot going in an opposite direction of the rider. So a chariot is something, uh, a term that we use to explain complete subservience, right? It has to go where the rider goes. So the forefathers are compared to chariots because they are so one and enmeshed and devoted with Hashem that whatever Hashem's will and desire is, that's what they do. Okay. So the patriarch's reward for their devotion was that their descendant soul would be sourced in a holy energy. Because they were so devoted to Hashem, their reward, their, you know, benefit of this devotion was that all the souls that come from them are going to be sourced in a very holy source, a very holy place. What's this source? What's this holy energy? 
the 10 spherot. Remember back in chapter three, we learned about the 10 spherot and we said in heaven, they're referred to as spherot. In our soul, they were referred to as kohos powers. Our souls come from these 10 spheros, okay? Now, we're gonna understand this better by understanding also the term mazel. We've all heard of the term mazel, right? We like to refer to it as almost like luck, but it's a little bit, it's different than that, right? What, it, what is the term mazel? The root, okay, this is where we're gonna get a little deep. So bear with me and please, please, please unmute or put questions in the question box if this is not working. The root of the soul, which is not enmeshed in the body, but it flashes and shines in the chachma of the divine soul. Okay, bear with me for a second. The mazel literally sees that there's no way of deviating from Hashem. And this is communicated subliminally through to the conscious mind, okay? So what we're saying is that there's a part of our soul that's not enmeshed in our body, it's kind of around us, that feels this divine energy, right? And where does this divine energy come from? It comes from the chachma of, of Hashem, which then goes to the chachma of our soul. We're gonna get into the chachma in a few minutes, so don't get caught up on that. But, and then it communicates this message subconsciously at this point. Okay, so subconsciously, our mazel knows that there's no way to deviate from the path of Hashem. Okay, we get this because of our patriarchs. Okay, we have this mazel, we have this surrounding, you know, subliminal message because of our patriarchs. Okay, one second, I see something in the chat box. It's like the Wi-Fi to Hashem. Yes, exactly. Great way to put it, okay? So our patri listen to this. Our patriarchs were a chariot to Hashem. So they experienced a conscious awareness of the divine, okay? Their experience of the divine, their experience of God was very conscious, okay? Therefore, they merited that their descendants would have lofty souls that at least would experience the divine in a subconscious experience, okay? There are mazalas are seeing the divine, okay? So basically what our patriarchs saw consciously, we see subconsciously. Does that make sense? Okay, what our patriarchs lived, they, it, they gave us the gift. We inherited it, that, it from them, but for us, it's in the subconscious. Okay, we want to try to figure out, I mean, spoiler alert, we want to figure out how to get the subconscious to the conscious, right? We have, basically, so we have the ability. We have this 
um, dormant love that's in our subconscious. The question is, how do we get it to our conscious? Okay, so is the mazel part of the soul? Um, yes and no. Yes, it's part of the soul, but it's it's part of the soul that's not necessarily entrenched and enmeshed in our body. It's part of our soul that kind of surrounds us. So does that answer the question? So it is part of our soul, but it's not. It's it's uh it's a more of a energy around ourselves than enmeshed inside of our body. Okay. Okay. So now we said that because of our patriarchs, our, our soul is sourced in this holy lofty source, which is the 10 spheros. Okay. Now this doesn't mean that all souls are equal. Okay. You would think, oh, we all have this lofty source of a soul. So all our souls are completely equal from each other. That is not what we're saying. Okay. Our souls are not all equal. Um, our souls can be associated with any of the 10 spheros. Okay. And also are found in one of the four spiritual worlds. Okay. So we have, and this is some new information that is going to help us all throughout the Tanya. It's good, basic foundational information. There's 10 spheros, right? We have three intellectual, seven emotional, right? Now there's also four spiritual worlds. Okay. There's actually many, many, many spiritual worlds, but we kind of talk about the four main ones in the Tanya. Our soul can come from any of the 10 spheros in any one of the four worlds. What are the four worlds? I'm going to tell them to you in Hebrew. Atzilus, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. The, the lowest part of Asiya is the physical world that we live in. Okay? So there is a hierarchy of worlds, right? And you can have a soul. Let's say you have a soul from Chesed, which is one of the 10 spheros of Asiya, or you have Malchus of Bria, or, you know what I'm saying? You see how there's many, many different combinations. I learned it in high school. It's always kind of, it was burned into my mind, but it's almost like a palace with many floors, right? And you have four floors. You have Atsilas is one floor, Atsilas Bria is another floor, Yetzira is another floor, and Asiya is another floor. And then on each floor, there's many, many rooms, right? And all the different rooms correlate to a different one of the spheros. Okay. Your soul source can be from any of the four floors in any one of those rooms. So every one of those souls are, could be from a different level. Okay. Now a, the higher soul, the higher the soul, meaning the higher the source, which means the higher the sphera or the hot or the higher world will have that soul will have an easier time being aware of Hashem and meditating on his greatness. Okay. It's just a fact, depending on where your soul comes from, depend kind of depend, uh, will, will 
manifests itself in how easy it is for you to feel godly and connect to God. Okay. Can someone with four spiritual words in the chat so we get this going? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Adina. <laughs> okay. It's in the chat. You see it? I appreciate that. Um, okay. So we might not all have the same level soul. Some of us may have much higher souls and very lofty souls. And some of our souls might be coming from the lowest levels. Okay. Um, but the one thing without exception is that our souls are sourced in the 10 spheros. Those are automatically holy. Okay. So when we're saying that our souls come from a lofty source, they are, there's different levels of that holy, but they're all universally coming from the spheros and from one of the four worlds. And I don't, did I, I don't know if I said it in this class, but it's kind of like, um, uh, like a train state, like a journey, right? A train station. Like how many stops did your soul have to take before it landed in your body? Or we can use the, the, the example of the palace, right? How many floors, how many steps and how many rooms did your soul have to go through before it landed in your body? Okay. The more wear and tear on your soul, the harder it is going to be to access godliness because there's more layers, right? And there's more wear and tear. If you have a pure soul that went straight from Chachma Vatsilas into your body, you're a Tadik, right? It's e or it's easier. You have a much greater chance of being a Tadik than if your soul is from one of the lower spheres of the lower worlds. Okay, are you with me? Yes, any questions so far? So we now have the answer to the question on how do we inherit love? Okay, here we go. We're not, it's not the emotion itself that we're inheriting, okay? But it's the soul which is predisposed to love Hashem due to its lofty source, okay? So it's not the actual emotion that we're inheriting. It's the fact that we now know that we have a soul that's predisposed to love Hashem because look where it's coming from. Look where our souls are coming from. How could it not love Hashem? Even no matter how low or high on the scale you are or which level floor or which floor of the palace you're on, it's holy, it's lofty, and that is predisposed to love Hashem. So we're not inheriting the actual emotion, we're inheriting the soul that allows us to have this emotion because of where it comes from. Yeah? Okay, so we've got that answered. We now know how do we inherit an emotion? Well, we're not really inheriting an emotion, we're inheriting the, the soul that has the emotion in it already. Okay, um, now for the first question, what's the root of this love and how does it come to us? Okay, now this can get a little technical. I, we're not, remember, we are not going to be able to delve into every single detail of this spiritual discussion, but our, our goal is to understand it enough that we, that we get the trajectory and we get what's going on. Okay, so 
just remember that there's so much more we can go into and so much deeper, but we're just, we've got to like get there enough for right now. Okay. So based on the idea that a sacred system, this, this sacred system is characterized by a cohesiveness and an interconnectedness, meaning everything is profoundly connected. Okay, what does that mean? So even if a person has a soul from the lowest of the spheros, of the lowest of the worlds, right? It still has included within it the element of all the spheros above it. Okay, so inside this soul that comes from the lowest level has within it all the other higher levels inside of it, okay? What does that mean? Each sphera is relatable to each other, even though some of the spheros have opposing energies, like we have chesed, which is kindness, and gvur, which is severity. You think they're, they fight each other, they're opposing, but they're all interconnected. They all each have each other in them, okay? Now, I like to, I, I also like to think of it as like an interlocking chain, right? We, we use this actually, and Tanya will talk about it later, called Seder Hishtalshalos, right? It's this, the way that Hashem comes through into our world. It's an interlocking chain. What is an interlocking chain? What does that mean? Okay, if you were to interlock your fingers or you draw like, you know, those chains where you hang in your sukkah, like think of those, you know? Each, the bottom of one is the top of the other. Okay, so they're not four separate worlds. They're interconnected. Okay, so this interconnectedness provides a bridge, not only between each of the spheros are interconnected, but also, like I just said, all the worlds are interconnected. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, we're gonna get there. Just follow along. At the end, if you have questions, let me know. Does that mean that love for Hashem is a default setting of each soul? Yes, absolutely. Okay, the, the soul inherently is, never, never mind, it's part of Hashem. So of course it's going to love it, right? It's only after it comes down in this world and it's covered up by a body and we have an animal soul to contend with that we don't really always tap into that. Okay, okay, that was just answering that question. So each, so think of it like this, each sphera is a window to the higher one, which is included within it. Okay, so when each, like, let's say, you have chesed is a window into gvura, which is then a window into teferas, which is in a window, window into yisod, machos, all of them, chachma, bina, das, they all, they're all intertwined and interconnected within each other. They don't exist in a vacuum by itself. So just because your soul is from chesed of asiya, it doesn't mean that that's standalone. It also means within that, you can find the chesed of Atsilas. Right? Because all our wor worlds are interconnected. I'm gonna, we're going to get into this deeper, okay? So, basically, we facilitate the connection. Like, there's a, basically, there, there goes both ways. Go back to the palace, right? You have the floor, right? You have one floor, which is one world, and you have 10 rooms, 
which is all the different spheros, right? From one end of the floor to the other, there's like, there, there's connection, okay? There's like a bridge between all the rooms. They're all connected. So on each floor, all the rooms are connected or imagine it like each, each room has a door to the other room. Literally, that's what we said. It's a window into the other room. Imagine each room is not a room on its own, but has a door to the next room. You see what I'm saying? And each floor has a bridge to the next floor. Okay? So not only are all the rooms connected, but all the floors are connected as well. Okay? So the highest, so think of it like this. The highest sphere is Chachma, by the way. Okay? Chachma is the first and highest sphere, energy. Um, so the Chachma in the highest world, which by the way is where Ein Sof is, the infinite light lives in Chachma. Ein Sof is Hashem's infinite light. So if you ever, you, we, we refer, we, in the time we refer to Ein Sof a lot. What, what's Ein Sof? It's an, the infinite light of God, which we can't really put into words because that limits it. Even calling it the infinite light limits it, right? But we're human, so we do the best we can, right? So the infinite light, where does the infinite light live? It lives in Chachma. Okay, that's Hashem's direct connection to the universe through Chachma. Okay, once Hashem's light floods through Chachma, then it spreads to all the other spheros until it reaches the universe. So Chachma is the source of the Ein Sof, source of Hashem's light. Okay, Chachma alone is capable of this because why? It represents inquisitiveness, openness, and the unknown. It's so not tangible that that's the only place Ein Sof could live because anything else past Chachma, once we get to Bina, Bina's understanding, right? Once we get to Bina, that's already too limiting for the Ein Sof. So it can't live there. Chachma has to live, Ein Sof has to live in Chachma because it's the most open, the most non-tangible of all the spheros, okay? So once, so only something that is so open, right, can be a receptacle for Hashem's light or else anything else wouldn't be too finite, too limiting to host the Ein Sof, the infinite light. Okay, so basically the Chachma of, let's say the Chachma of Atzilas which is Atzilus, which is the highest spiritual world, is connected to the Chachma of Bria, which is connected through the Chachma of Yitzira, which is connected to the Chachma of Asiya. And that's how Hashem projects his light onto the world. It goes through this chain until it reaches the universe. Okay? So it turns out that regardless, regardless of what kind of Jew you are or what kind of Jew you may be, the infinite light, listen to this carefully, the infinite light of Hashem is present in the Chachma part of your soul. Like bomb, truth bomb, right? <laughs> now, right, so, um, 
we know that the Ein Sof lives in Chachma, right? It comes to the Chachma of Atzilas and it goes to the Chachma of Atzilas all throughout the world until it's in the Chachma of your soul. So within the Chachma of our soul lives Hashem's infinite light, no matter what kind of Jew you are, no matter how pious or how observant you are, it's irrelevant. You're, we now know our soul has to come from the spheros. It has to come from this lofty level. And we now know that everything is interconnected, right? Everything is cohesive in this spiritual plane, right? So the Chachma of Atzilus basically ends up in the Chachma of our soul, which means we house in the Chachma of our soul, God's infinite light. Okay, no matter what you do, it's not connected to how you behave and who you are. Now, what's connected to how we behave and who we are is how, how readily we can access it, right? And bring that from our subconscious to our conscious. But regardless, you have it, okay? So in chapter three, we're just, just to like understand Chachma a bit more, in chapter three, we learned that Chachma is the source of all intelligence, right? Um, and once it comes to Bina, that's already when we're starting to grasp the idea, when we're starting to expound the idea and it's starting to grow. So once it comes to Bina, then it already has a finite, like it already has like um, dimension, right? In Chachma, it doesn't have dimension yet. It's just this floating idea, which is really what the source of the word Chachma is. What is Chachma? Koach Ma, the power of what? It has power, but like, we don't even know what it is yet. We can't grasp it yet. Koach ma, the power of what? That's why Ein Sof is expressed through Chachma because no thought can grasp it. You can't grasp Chachma, okay? It's too, it's too floaty. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have dimension, okay? Now this brings me to something very, very important, which... I want to say, if you walk away with one thing from this class, I hope it's this. Are you ready? It is silly to have faith on something that we can grasp. Okay? It's silly to have faith on something that we can grasp with our mind. Okay? Ain't so cannot, which cannot be contained by our finite tools of cognition, right? The appropriate connection is through faith. The only way that we are going to be able to connect to God and, un and deal with this ain't so thing is through faith. Why? Because our minds cannot grasp it. So the only way to connect to it is through faith. Something that you can grasp, you do not need faith for. Okay. Um, I talk about this all the time when I, when I do my public speeches with, about my family, like you do not need to have faith when something's right in front of you, right? If you're 
if you are looking at um, dinner on the table, you don't have to have faith that you're going to have dinner. It's right in front of you, right? You have to have faith there's going to be dinner if you see no food in the house and you're like, okay, I, I hope there's going to be dinner tonight, right? So this is a very important thing. The only way to foster a connection with Hashem is through faith because you cannot grasp him. Our minds cannot grasp him. So I've, we spend so much time trying to understand the ways of Hashem and this doesn't make sense, especially after last week, right? When we had this horrible, horrible tragedy that our minds cannot grasp. There is no way to understand it. Stop trying. The only way to move through something like that is through faith. When things are going well, when you're getting what you want and things are good, that is not faith. That is getting what you want and seeing that you there's dinner on the table. Okay? Faith, by faith definition, is when you have to have faith, it's because you can't understand it. That's where faith kicks in. Okay. So if there's one thing that we walk away with is starting to wrap our brains around this concept of faith. Faith means we cannot grasp it. We cannot understand it. Ain't so the infinite light is not graspable. We can know that it's within us, but then we need to employ our faith because there's no way we're gonna grasp it. Now we do spend a lot of time understanding it as much as we can, because that's a mitzvah, right? To understand Hashem to the extent of our ability. And that will look different for everybody. I always say, you're gonna hit a wall. In understanding Hashem, you're gonna hit a wall. Where your wall is, that's, your, that's personal. You're gonna hit your wall whenever you hit it. But there is not one person on earth who has not hit a wall in their journey of understanding Hashem. So I feel like this is very, very liberating because yes, we want to learn, we want to understand, but at some point you just have to have the faith because there's no amount of learning in the world that's going to allow you to grasp the concept of infinity. There's no, con there's no learning in the world that's going to help you grasp that Hashem is one and there's nothing outside of Hashem. That's not a graspable concept. So Hashem gave, this, uh, gave us the ability to have the faith because that's the only way we bridge the gap. Okay, so moving on. That was like a tangent that I really felt passionate about. <laughs> um, it, it actually says it in the Tanya, but I, I expounded it a little bit. It's, it says in the Tanya, it is silly to have faith on something that's right, that you understand. Faith equals you don't understand. Okay. So that's why even the most sinful Jews, okay, even the most sinful Jews, most of the time will give their life to sanctify Hashem's name. Okay, why? That's counterintuitive. One thing, if you are a devoted Jew, one thing, if you're devoted to following Hashem's will, 
then if you're if Hashem's name is called into question, it makes sense that you would give your life for it. But a, but a non-practicing Jew, someone who isn't devoted to godliness, how does that work? And Tanya says, is that this is the evidence of the presence of the dormant love, okay? And the faith that's in the heart of the Jew. Because regardless of a person's piety or religious education, if Hashem's name is comes into question, that dormant love is going to kick on and it's not going to make any cognitive sense. It's not that that person thought about cognitively about Hashem and how we can't, we have to sanctify his name. It's not a cognitive experience. It's an experience where that dormant love and that faith kicks in because it is like we said, it's our default setting. And when that's called into question, that's what's going to turn on automatically. Now, there are exceptions to the rules. We do have times in history where Jews left the path of Judaism and didn't give their life. But I want to say, if you look through history, the majority of the time, if God's, um, the sanctification of God's name is called into question, no matter who that Jew is, that dormant love kicks in and they're willing to give their life. Okay, so um, the question is, how do we access this dormant love in an everyday setting? Okay, we're talking about dormant love. It obviously is applicable to our lives. And here we're saying that if Hashem's, Hashem or godliness is called into question, Dormant love kicks in and we give our life. Well, that's not what we want to do every day. And that's not what we encounter every day, right? So how do we kick on the dormant love without our actual lives being in question? And that's what we're going to discuss in the following chapters. That's where I leave. That's where I leave you, right? We know, we understand this dormant love. We know where it comes from, right? We know that we have a soul that got it as an inheritance from the extreme devotion of our forefathers. The question is, how do we use this dormant love in our everyday life? Because remember, we're practical, okay? We're not saying, oh, dormant love gets kicked on when your life is called into question or when, you're, when your Judaism or when your Jewish identity is called in, into question, that's when your dormant love kicks in. Yes, true, and we also are gonna learn tools to kick on that dormant love in our day-to-day -day life. And that's what we're going to discuss in the coming chapters. Okay. Any questions before we have like five minutes to meditate? Any questions before we get there, before we do a meditation? We're good? Okay. Get comfortable. <clears throat> Gently close your eyes. Deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Follow the rhythm of your breath. Don't try to push it to do something it doesn't want to do. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Sit there for a second or two.
while you're breathing, try to visualize where you store stress or tension in your body. If you can locate that location, I want you to imagine any tension that you have, wherever it's stored, to let it gently melt away. Almost like a bright light melting any of that tension out of your body. Okay, now that we hopefully feel a little lighter, let's focus on some food for thought. If you're not cut out for meditation, you can still unveil the dormant love in your heart, okay? This is a method that um, we are gonna be learning in chapters 18 through 25. Even the most sinful Jews have dormant love in their soul because it's an inheritance from our forefathers. So every single soul has this dormant love, no matter what. All the components of your soul are profoundly interconnected. So it's not hard to tap into your faith. Let go of trying to understand God's infinity and uncover your faith. So we are on the journey of understanding how to activate this dormant love without having our lives be in jeopardy. Okay, we know that dormant love can be activated in a life or death situation. What about in our day-to-day life? It can be activated as then as well, and we're gonna learn how. Sit with those thoughts for a minute. Do you connect to them? How do they make you feel? Do you feel any physical sensations in your body when you think about these thoughts? Just observe, there's no right or wrong answer. Bring your attention slowly back to your breath. 
in through your nose, out through your mouth. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes.